It's peaceful out around these parts. Quiet. All serene-like. You can hear the babbling brook, the singing birds, and the roar of the crowd cheering for their hero, Le Roi de la Guerre. Bonjour, mes amis, et bienvenue à la forêt boreale. Hello, friends. Welcome to the northern forests of Maine. Home to the lynx, the black bear, the moose, the L.L. Bean, and the training grounds for moi, Grizzly Matthews. Did you know that the term Cajun comes from the word Acadian, and that the francophones from down Nolan's way actually come from way up there in Canada? So it is here that the Acadian crippler, Grizzly Matthews, hones his craft, stalking his prey, traipsing about the woods, ordering the jumbo lobster roll. Such a brave and daring man is he, Noir de la Guerre. What is it they so often say down there for the Mardi Gras? Laissez le bon temps rouler? More like laissez ma fist rouler all over your face! If you cross the path of the Acadian crippler, Le Roi de la Guerre, Grizzly Matthews. You've come to learn my secrets, Nepal. The claw, the bear trap, the grizzly driver dizuit. Patience, ma petite pompelousse. Monsieur Matthews doesn't give away his secrets for free, you know. There is a price to pay. Sauté! Go forth, ma belle fromage. Go and spread the gospel of the neighborhood. Tell all you see about the wonders of the New Age insiders. Praise the names of Moltov, Stryker, and Neville to the corners of the globe. And then, et alors seulement, can you return here à la bois profonde and sit under the grizzly Matthews learning tree. Au revoir, mes enfants. Le roi de guerre must hunt once more. How do they say it down south? Y'all come back now, ya hear? No, seriously, come back soon. I, I'm running out of matches, uh, and I'm pretty sure there's a hornet's nest in the bottom of my sleeping bag. Come back. Bring some pizza. Help me! It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. And now... This is the Neighborhood Podcast with New Age Insider's Chief of Staff, D.C. Matthews.
Welcome to the Neighborhood Podcast. My name is DC Matthews at DC Matthews NAI, and I am the Chief of Staff of the New Age Insiders, the premier place for wrestling fans to connect, discuss, and to be heard. For those of you who may, like Captain America, have been frozen in suspended animation at the bottom of an ocean for the last few decades, the New Age Insiders are Jason Aragon Maltov at New Age Insiders, Liam Legolas Stryker at Liam NAI, and Bill Gandalf Neville at Bill Neville NAI. And with their powers combined, they are the hosts of the best darn wrestling or 90s kid show nostalgia podcast I've ever heard, NAI Pod. The nicknames for this week's show come from the fact that this week's podcast of NAI Pod lasted just about as long as one of the Lord of the Rings movies. But unlike the works of Tolkien and Jackson, NAI Pod is completely free, completely hilarious, and, especially this week, completely female-filled. We have a website, NewAgeInsiders.com, and you should go to it, where you can get your daily wrestling news from ace reporter Brandon McIntyre, at Brandon Mac NAI, along with articles and columns from myself and the rest of the NAI team and NAI Hall of Famers. If it's Friday, you yourself can post your own work, and I sincerely hope you do so. NAI is growing by leaps and bounds each and every week, and that is completely because of you, the neighborhood. The more you write, the more you call in, the more you be heard, the bigger and better we get. There's a whole lot to get to on today's podcast. We will finally start talking about the NAI draft, not that it's done, We'll make some battleground predictions, we'll fantasy book ourselves a SummerSlam card, we'll cover our week in history, a homework assignment, and much more. But first, this is episode 6 of the Neighborhood Podcast, which really is not that impressive. Over the last week, however, a milestone of some type was achieved by one D.C. Matthews. On July 14th, 2014... After deciding with my friend Doc Manson to dip our toes into the wrestling writing world, this recently reborn fan created a Twitter account to share his thoughts and musings on the wrestling world, in the hopes that at some point, on some day, somebody would notice. The first few months were fairly quiet. I remember celebrating the first time the number two contenders had 20 views for an article. Then, sometime in the late fall, I stumbled upon the New Age Insiders, and in that moment, everything changed for me. And as of December 1st, when NewAgeInsiders.com was launched, everything changed for the wrestling world. A little more than 365 days later, I sit here, friends, with over 660 followers, over 37,000 tweets, a multitude of written articles, and five podcasts under my belt. Once this is done, will I be at six? And almost none of that would be possible without you, the neighborhood. So from the bottom of my heart, I would like to thank you, my friends. To Jason, Liam, and Bill, thank you for allowing me to tag along on this epic journey of yours. Thank you for having the faith in me to serve as your chief of staff. And most importantly... Thank you all for the countless hours you put in to make NAI and its podcast the best place for intelligent wrestling fans to be heard.
Your passion and your drive fuels us all. And I can't wait to see what the future holds for the New Age Insiders and the neighborhood at large. For Brandon, Shannon, Adam, DJ, and Josh, it has been an absolute pleasure to spend the last year getting to know you, write with you, talk with you, and call you my friends. You are among the most passionate and articulate wrestling fans in the world, and I hope I can do what little bits I can to make you all household names, even if Adam and DJ aren't yet able to legally drink. To Magnum and Keith the Pit Dog, you are the voices I hold almost above all others to provide the nostalgic and historic view of the world of professional wrestling. I can't tell you how important it is for you two and others of your ilk to be heard. The younger generations, and really all wrestling fans, need your wisdom and insight in order to become the best that we can be, so thank you both for being our teachers. To the NAI Draft Class, thanks for taking this simple thought exercise and turning it into a being all of its own. I have enjoyed serving as Uatu the Watcher, observing, reflecting, and living vicariously through your passion and, sometimes, your rage. If we ever get to finish this current iteration of the NAI Draft, I can't wait to see what the next one becomes. For everyone else within the sound of my voice, you have my deepest gratitude. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your wrestling life this past year, and I hope that I can continue to inform and entertain you for the next 365 days. You don't know how much The Neighborhood Podcast is released each and every Sunday, which also happens to be the day of the week of most WWE special events. I'm not going to call them pay-per-views anymore, since that's not really what they are. WWE doesn't even list them as such on their website. They're just called events. Anyway, we're heading towards one of those events this Sunday with Battleground, so let's get to some predictions. I'm sure by now you've listened or read countless predictions over the last few days, But really, what's one more set? With the news that Ryback is injured, the curse of the Intercontinental title continues, we're down to only six advertised matches for Battleground. I imagine that that will change at some point before the event begins. There's enough talent available. Dean Ambrose, Cesaro, Rusev, Big Show, Miz, etc. Plus, something has to happen with the women's division, doesn't it? So I expect this card to get flushed out a little more. The pre-show match is R-Truth versus King Barrett, and the boys on NAI Pod covered this in its entirety a few days ago. I only have a couple of things to add, and one of them is this. If we're going to have the King of the Ring crown being able to be defended like a title, I'd prefer it to have the 24-7 rule like the hardcore title did. People fighting in the back, multiple crown changes a night, that sort of thing. In truth... I think that the return of the King of the Ring was solely to placate the fans who kept insisting on it via social media, and I freely admit to being one of those people. This strikes me as a Vince McMahon, you want it, you got it, now deal with it, type situations. And Wade Barrett is the unfortunate recipient. You want proof? I doubt you need proof, but here's some statistics anyways. 
King Barrett is 11 and 35 since winning his crown. 11 wins, 35 losses. That's a winning percentage of 24%. Since becoming king, he has lost more than three quarters of his matches. That's scary. Based on that, I'm going to have to go ahead and pick our truth as the winner of this match. So get ready for the reign of King What's Up, folks. The next match is Randy Orton versus Sheamus. And to tell you the truth, I'm not sure why these two are fighting. Maybe I haven't been paying enough attention, but I can't recall what sparked this feud or why it's still going. Still, the match shouldn't be bad, and I'm going to go ahead and guess it's going to be the one that opens the official event. I'll go ahead and say Sheamus wins, just because he's the Money in the Bank briefcase winner, and that has to mean something, right? The Primetime Players versus New Day for the Tag Team Titles is up next. I like this feud, and I like both teams a lot. And while it's not as likely to steal the show as some of the other tag matches in 2015, it should certainly be entertaining. I'm not sure if the primetime players were meant to be the transitional champions the boys mentioned on the podcast this week. And while I admire Mr. Stryker's hypothesis regarding the number of championships being won or lost, they don't change hands, remember, I personally subscribe to the opposite opinion. I think New Day wins back their titles because they are the only new champions heading out of Battleground and into SummerSlam. The next match features John Cena defending his United States title against Kevin Owens. I think there's no question this will be the match of the night, and will likely not be the end of their feud either. As the boys said, Cesaro and Rusev not having matches certainly bodes well for some sort of interference in this contest. I'll go ahead and say that John Cena retains his title, and I'll even make a fairly bold prediction in saying he wins. My reasoning has nothing to do with what happened in the past. Well, I guess it does. It's about the past and the future. The next WWE event is SummerSlam, and as recent history has shown, SummerSlam is not John Cena's event. The last time John Cena won a match at SummerSlam was in 2010, when Team WWE defeated the Nexus. Since then, he's lost to CM Punk twice, Daniel Bryan, and, in case you forgot, there was that little match with Brock Lesnar last year. Let's go back even further. The last time John Cena won a singles match at SummerSlam was in 2007, eight years ago. WWE's Summer Spectacular seems to be the event where Cena loses. He has his own little streak, if you will. With that said, I imagine he won't lose the U.S. title until SummerSlam. WWE won't want Lesnar and Rollins to follow Cena and Owens directly, so I'll go ahead and say that Roman Reigns versus Bray Wyatt is next. If they add a Divas title match, maybe another Paige versus Nikki versus Naomi kind of thing, my order would change. I agree wholeheartedly that this anyone-but-you gimmick is about five to six months too late, but I personally have loved what I've seen with Bray and Roman, and I hope this is not a one-match feud. I think, at this point, we have to accept what we have with Bray Wyatt. He's the upper-mid-card heel that every face must get through on their way to the top. He's not going to be Seth Rollins, he's not going to be the authority, he's the step right below them. 
and as much as it pains me to say it, we should all stop expecting him to get over the hump and become a main event guy. I don't think WWE intends for that to happen. Regardless, since I'm imagining this to be a longer feud than just this match, I'll go ahead and give Bray the nod for the battle, even though we all know in the long run he'll lose the war. This brings us to our main event for Battleground, Seth Rollins defending his WWE Championship against Brock Lesnar. As people have been posting on Twitter for weeks now, I really have no clue how this match is going to end, which is a refreshing change of pace from the way most wrestling goes these days. I don't want to go on too much of a tangent right now, but I had a very hard time watching Jay Lethal vs. Mark Briscoe from this week's Ring of Honor TV because I knew that Lethal was going to keep his title. This is also why I try my hardest to avoid NXT spoilers on taping days. When I know what the outcome is, I care far less about the steps that are taken to get there. I became a wrestling fan, and in many ways I still am one, because of the surprises, the unexpected, the mystery. This main event match has the potential for all of that, and I'm psyched to see it, even if it makes the prediction aspect tricky. Still, as you undoubtedly deduced by my previous predictions, I'm picking Seth Rollins to retain his title. As much as I adore the notion of Triple H turning on Rollins leading to a match at SummerSlam, I don't buy it. While SummerSlam is still the second biggest show of the year, it's not on the level of WrestleMania. All of these Sting and Undertaker rumors, to me, are just that. Rumors. I don't think we see either of them, nor do I believe we see Triple H lace up his wrestling boots next month. Much like Bray and Roman, this feud between Brock and Seth isn't a one-time deal, though. It's going to linger. Maybe Lesnar gets disqualified. Maybe Rollins takes the title and runs. Maybe the champ finds himself some bigger muscle to help overtake the beast. But somehow, some way, I think Rollins remains the champion. This puts the WWE title picture into a unique spot. The champion has many challengers. Besides Lesnar, you have Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns, and Randy Orton who all seemingly have unfinished business with the architect. Plus, you still have Bray Wyatt lurking in the shadows, and Ambrose and Reigns still have problems with him. It is here that we transition from the predictions to the fantasy booking part of the Neighborhood Podcast. WWE dropped the ball on the Elimination Chamber. Much like King of the Ring, the Chamber seemed to fill the void between events, while also being a recycled gimmick theme to excite the fan base. It was a test balloon to see if this kind of thing would still work. And it did. It totally worked. Right up until the point where the matches began and the whole thing fell flat. This goes back to one of my longest running beliefs when it comes to pro wrestling, and I've written or talked about it multiple times. Your feud makes the gimmick match, not the other way around. The tag and Intercontinental title chamber matches were had because we hadn't had a chamber match in a while, and also because Corpus Christi, Texas has one of the few stadiums structurally secure enough to house the sheer mass of the Elimination Chamber. I understand why they did it, but it's still not ideal. Right now, July of 2015, you have a series of main event feuds that would be tailor-made for a chamber match. Multiple men gunning for the same title, and more specifically for the champion himself. 
You have various storylines that can blur together, multiple characters who all have business with each other. An Elimination Chamber match would be the perfect way to incorporate all of these pieces into one excellent puzzle. But alas, it's not going to happen. Still, this is a fantasy booking SummerSlam, so I'm going to dream big. So here's the main event of my SummerSlam. Inside the Elimination Chamber, Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, Randy Orton, Roman Reigns, and Bray Wyatt. Plus, Sheamus would be at ringside, maybe on commentary, maybe just standing there holding his money in the bank briefcase, just waiting for his chance to cash in on this multi-man mayhem. In fact, my SummerSlam would be unique in that there would not be a single singles match on the card. Fatal four-way match we've been dreaming of. John Cena, Kevin Owens, Cesaro, and Rusev. Fans would also get to see the Divas match that, in my mind, was teased on Raw. A triple threat, nine-diva elimination match. The Bellas and Alicia Fox versus Naomi, Tamina, and Sasha Banks versus Paige, Charlotte, and Becky Lynch. This would be the chance fans had been begging for the Divas to have, and in my world, they would not disappoint. The New Day would defend their newly won tag team titles in a four-team ladder match for the belts. I mean the straps. I mean the championships. Facing the primetime players, the Lucha Dragons, and the returning team of Harper and Rowan. I don't know the timetable for Eric Rowan's injury, but since this is my fantasy league, he'd recover just in time for the go-home Raw before SummerSlam. Alright, let's see. We did a triple threat. We have a fatal four-way. We have a chamber match. Let's throw in a battle royal for good measure. Ryback, still under the curse of the Intercontinental title, has to surrender the belt, leading to a 10-15 to man-over-the-top rope contest to crown a new champion. In my world, though, battle royals would always end with the final two participants having an actual match with a referee, pinfall, submission, all of that, rather than just throwing each other over the top rope. I think that's more exciting. You'd have the Big Show and Miz and Neville, King Truth, Peasant Barrett, all of them would be present, including the final announced entrant, the returning cosmonaut himself, Cody Rhodes. Naturally, of course, Cody would make it to the final two participants, but he wouldn't win. Sadly, he would be eliminated by the winner, your new Intercontinental Champion, overcoming all of the odds thanks to his overwhelmingly annoying self-confidence. Oh yes, friends. heard it right. Bo Dallas, your new intercontinental champion. Just so you know, while that music was playing, I ran all around the neighborhood studios with my thumbs pointed sideways for some reason to celebrate. All right, we've been talking wrestling for quite some time now, and much like Owen Hart, I think it's time for a change. Welcome to Random Ramblings, where your chief of staff takes a couple minutes to wander off on a topic that more than likely has absolutely nothing to do with pro wrestling. If NAI Pod can spend five minutes talking about the Power Rangers, surely I can be allowed to ramble randomly. Like me, I imagine that most of you have your nerd identification cards handy, 
So for many of you, this information may not be new. But in case you missed it, Marvel Comics is having quite the deal right now in celebration of the release of their new movie, Ant-Man. Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited, where you can read thousands of comic books for one low price on any digital device, is now offering a one-month subscription for one penny. You heard me right, true believers. One cent gets you access to all your favorite Marvel heroes and villains. Who said a penny isn't worth anything anymore? Now, I told you that to tell you this, and as I think about it, I can actually tie this into the world of wrestling. One of the things we lament as WWE Network subscribers is that there are gaps in the viewing library. They don't have all the Raws or the Nitros available, and some of us like consistency when it comes to that sort of thing. I first tried Marvel Digital Unlimited some years ago, and I ran into the exact same problem that we have with the network. There are gaps, or there were gaps, sometimes big ones, in the anthologies. How can I read every X-Men comic if some of them are missing? And I can't go forward with the stories if issues 18 through 21 aren't up there yet. It was quite vexing, and wound up being the reason why I canceled my subscription. I haven't run into that issue yet with this version of Marvel Digital Unlimited. Obviously, the good folks at Marvel have been working hard to get everything up there. But I have discovered the pain in the neckitude, that's a word, by the way, of trying to follow an entire crossover series. I started my comic reading with the Infinity event of a few years ago, and it was rather arduous to figure out all of the different comics I need to read in order to get the whole story. Plus, then I had to read all the back issues to be caught up enough to read the Infinity events. It wasn't until halfway through that I realized Marvel had done all the work for me in a separate section called Discover, but still, it can be quite the workout to make sure that all my geek cred stays intact. Thankfully, by complaining about it, I get extra geek points. Double bonus! Anyway, if you're a comic book fan, I recommend picking up a month's subscription and trying it out. It might take away from your wrestling watching for a while, but that might not be the worst thing in the world now and then, right? Right? Hello? All right, then. Moving rapidly along, let's talk about the NAI Draft, which is still in full swing. NAI Draft B has finished its 20 rounds and, after much cajoling, is currently working on bonus rounds 21 through 25. NAI Draft C is almost wrapping up their draft. And then there's NAI Draft A. <sighs> well, they're almost halfway done, so I guess that's something. Still, I've been promising you NAI draft analysis and coverage with this week's episode, and so I'm going to provide some. The first thing I'll say ties into that football metaphor Jason, Liam, and Bill were using on the podcast on Tuesday. The key to the NAI draft for me isn't just about the talents, who you draft and when you draft them. It's how you use them once you have them that matters. The right players, mixed with the right coaching, leads to championships. So no matter how stacked or not stacked you might feel your roster is, it's the summary you provide at the end that I'm going to be interested in. Who are you building your promotion around? Or, more specifically, how are you building your promotion? Will you have a prominent tag team or women's division? 
Will you build in a middleweight or pure wrestling title? What does your announce team look like? Who are your authority figures? All of those things matter when it comes to deciding who the winner, air quotes, of a draft class would be. Having said all that, here are some patterns and observations that I can make, I would like to make, and so now I'm going to make. The first one has to do with tag teams. The ability to draft tandems together certainly affected people's draft strategies, especially when it was decided that trios teams counted as well. It only seemed fair, since Lucha Underground doesn't have a tag team division, so trios needed to be included. The fact that in the last six months there was a tournament to crown the trios championship made things complicated, because technically, every group that took place in that tournament counted as an official team, even if they only teamed up once or twice. This is where I need to remind you that this is the first draft NAI has done that is stretched beyond just Adam, DJ, and myself. This entire endeavor is a work in progress. We're making notes, we're taking feedback, and NAI Draft 3.0 will be bigger and better for it, just like the New Age Insiders itself. We don't just like the sound of the phrase, be heard. We mean it. If you have ideas or suggestions or thoughts on the draft, when the draft is over, share them with us, and hopefully we'll take your thoughts into consideration when we plan the next draft. I expect that in the winter when we do this whole thing again, we'll only be counting teams that have formed since the summer, so this problem will, for the most part, work itself out. Those trios teams won't count anymore. Things will be a little bit better. Personally, I don't mind the tag team strategy, though it seems to bother some of you out there. I liken it to the draft strategy some have with fantasy baseball, which, for the record, is the only other fantasy sport I've ever participated in. There are some guys who draft a lot of pitchers and only a few position players, and then there are those who only draft relief pitchers and have a lot of position players, and really, it's to each their own. Perhaps in a future draft, we'll set limits on the number of tag teams you can draft, but truthfully, I don't see it as a big problem. It was also fun to notice that the number of women being drafted spiked right around Monday and Raw. For those who are interested, the three NXT women who made their main roster debuts, Sasha, Charlotte, and Becky, are all members of the top 25 when it comes to ADP. For those of you who don't know what that acronym means, ADP stands for Average Draft Position, and it's a statistic used in fantasy sports to approximate rankings for each participant. In our case, since there are only three draft pools, it's not the best statistic in the world, but it's all that we've got right now, and it's showcased interesting results. Let's start with our top five in ADP. Kevin Owens, Adam Cole, Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, and Okada. They're all unanimous first-round picks. They're all under 35 years of age. Balor is the oldest at 33, although his birthday's coming up. And they're all poised to be dominant for the next decade, which is what this draft was meant to be. I'm not sure everyone caught that particular rule, that you should be drafting a group of wrestlers for a promotion that presumes to last for the next 10 years, but I said it enough times, so I don't feel bad if you missed it. Rounding out our top 10 in ADP are Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose, both with an ADP of 11, the team of Kadaro, 
the team of the Young Bucks, and surprisingly to me, Brock Lesnar. Again, that 10-year draft idea was something that I thought was going to have Lesnar fall down the ranks a little bit, but he was a first-round pick in two of the three drafts. I don't want to go into too much detail here, since drafts are still going on in Azuatu the Watcher, I dare not interfere in the natural order of events. Still, here are some tidbits and fun facts, but I'm going to limit myself to only the talents who have been drafted in all three pools already. I think a lot of people forgot about the team of Austin Aries and Bobby Roode. They weren't drafted until the 52nd pick in draft pool B, which was the first one to get to that point. And with every draft that followed that, they went higher and higher up the board. They were the 30th pick in draft C and the 13th pick in draft A. AJ Styles, who was a first and second round pick in drafts B and C, fell down to the 61st pick in NAI draft A. In fact, I'll go out on a limb and say that that draft A group is probably the most unusual when it comes to drafting and not just because it's going to finish sometime around Boxing Day. In many cases, AJ Styles, Brock Lesnar, Dean Ambrose, the Lucha Dragons, to name a few, that A group picked guys either well before the rest or well after the rest. I'm not going to count Roderick Strong. Shannon pretty much put the entire draft on its ear with that pick at number two. But it's interesting. Draft A while working very slowly, will have the advantage of being able to use the other drafts for ideas and for strategy. There's a reason that you can see when you go to the spreadsheet all three draft pools. That reason is so I don't lose my mind. A bonus effect is you get to do extra research. Here's another fun fact. I'm a fan of consistency. And one of my favorite things about watching this draft take place has been seeing the talents that have fairly consistent draft positions. What I mean by that is they seem to be picked around the same round each and every time. I did some quick math on my spreadsheet calculating range, and forgetting the guys in the top 10 who obviously had a fairly close range, here are some consistent members of the NAI draft. The Briscoe Brothers. Drafted either in round two or with the very first pick in round three. Sami Zayn, late second round, early third round. Red Dragon and Charlotte, same thing, second, third round picks. Prince Puma, third or fourth round pick. Warbeard, Hansen, and Neville, both late fourth round, early fifth round. Dolph Ziggler, somewhere around the seventh or eighth round, he was picked in all three drafts. On the other end of the spectrum... Let's talk about Blue Pants. She was drafted 52nd in draft A, but not until the final round, round 20, of draft B, 153rd. Maybe it's just me, but I love dorky stats like that. Speaking of the nerdy, dorky, and geeky, it's time for This Week in History! Here are the birthdays coming up for this week. Sunday, July 19th. Jinder Mahal, formerly of three-man band, is 29. Jinder Mahal took place entirely during my lost years where I wasn't watching wrestling. I don't think I've ever seen him do anything. Also having a birthday on Sunday, July 19th, is Tony Mamaluke. He's 38. Monday, July 20th, 
Adam Rose is 36. I'm still pretty sure he's one of the only WWE talents to block me, despite the fact that I came up with the idea for the Dark Rose gimmick, which I think would be great. Former WCW wrestler Mike Sanders is 46. And going way back in history, in 1928, Sky Low Low was born. For those of you who don't know who Sky Low Low is, he is one of the most famous midget wrestlers in history. Uh, I believe he was one of the ones who wrestled at WrestleMania 3, where King Kong Bundy and two vertically challenged wrestlers wrestled Hillbilly Jim and two other vertically challenged wrestlers. Let's go back even further. 1878, a man named George Hackenschmidt was born, one of the first true greats in pro wrestling. Tuesday, July 21st, we have a lot to get to on this day. Fandango is 28 years old. I hate seeing these wrestlers that are younger than I am. Uh, TNA star Kenny King, who I couldn't pick out of a crowd or tell you one move that he does, is 34. Sarah, former wife of The Undertaker and former stocky of Diamond Dallas Page, is 38. Sean Stasiak, better known as Meat, is 45. Giant Silva, who was one of the members of the Oddities, a stable that I don't think gets enough credit, is 52. In 1937, Hiro Matsuda was born. If that name isn't familiar to you, you weren't watching wrestling or you haven't been watching uh, NWA and WCW pay-per-views from the late 80s and early 90s. He was a uh, Japanese wrestler who kind of helped bridge the New Japan I think it was New Japan. Correct me if I'm wrong out there, Twitter. Uh, the Japan to NWA gap, and he, I believe, at one point managed the Four Horsemen. And in 2005, Lord Alfred Hayes, former manager, I believe, and announcer, passed away. Let's move on to Wednesday, July 22nd. This made me take a minute. This fact right here. Are you ready? Shawn Michaels' birthday, Wednesday, July 22nd. Be sure to wish him a happy birthday. But Shawn Michaels is 50. 50! That's crazy. In 1958, David Von Erich was born, famous member of the Von Erich family. Um, I took me a minute to remember why this person was listed on ProFightDB's birthday page. Alex Trebek is 75 on Wednesday, July 22nd. If you don't remember why Alex Trebek has to do with wrestling, you're not alone. He, I believe, took part in WrestleMania six. I think he did a ring announcing one time, and that apparently counts. So happy birthday, Alex Trebek. In 1923, the greatest women's wrestler in the world of all time was born, the fabulous Moolah. Thursday, July 23rd, Zack Sabre Jr., who all of you are telling me is a wrestler that I am going to fall in love with, but I haven't had time to watch a match yet. He'll be 28. Um, recently passed Mexican wrestler Pero Aguayo Jr. was born in 1979 on July 23rd. Here's another fact that I was shocked by. Drago, Lucha Underground superstar Drago, is 40. I hope I can move around like that when I'm 40. I can't move around like Drago does now, but maybe in eight years I will. Uh, former TNA wrestler Sonny Siaki is 41. 
Uh, Al Perez, who was a wrestler in NWA in the late 80s, is 55. And Jumpin' Joe Savoldi is 58. I remember as a kid stumbling across on some cable channel uh, the promotion IWCCW, which is a promotion I'm guessing most of you have never heard of, but it had wrestling on. It was on, I think, at like 6 or 7 in the morning, which for someone who's been an early riser since the day I was born, I dug. Um, Jumpin' Joseph Oldie was a part of that, and also this wrestler known as the Tasmaniac. He had long hair. He looked like a savage. He wore like a Flintstones kind of thing. Of course, he became known as the human suplex machine Taz, but that was kind of cool to remember that looking at Joseph Oldie's birthday. That takes us to Friday, July 24th. Tori Wilson is 40. And Carl Malone, again, basketball legend, had, I think, one or two matches in WCW in the late 90s, so he counts as a wrestler. Carl Malone is 55. And that'll take us to Saturday, July 25th. The only birthday to speak of is NXT champion Finn Balor. He will be 34. So, ladies, gents, get your birthday cards ready for Finn Balor. All right, that takes us out of this week in history, and we've covered a lot of ground here on the Neighborhood Podcast today. But before we say goodbye, it's time for this week's homework assignment. I didn't get a lot of people telling me that they watched British Bulldog versus Vader from Slamboree 93. I did get some who said they liked it, because why wouldn't you? It's a great match. I have a sneaking suspicion I'm going to get more feedback from this week's homework assignment. And I'm not giving you a match or a pay-per-view to watch. I need you to exercise your persuasive writing muscles this week. I have a problem. And this is where Heel DC, in his own way, is going to appear. Because you're not going to like the problem I have. And here it is. I can't get excited about Lucha Underground. I can't. I just can't. I know it's quality wrestling. I know there are a lot of you that are super in love with it. But I can't bring myself to watch it week after week. I keep falling behind. because I watch Ring of Honor. I watch NXT. And then I go, oh yeah, I should watch Lucha Underground. And I just say, nah, maybe not. Maybe it's because I accidentally, while doing Wikipedia research, stumbled across some of the results from Ultima Lucha. So I know what's going to happen. As I said earlier in this podcast, once I know the outcome, I care less about how we get there. But still, enough of you like it so that I think I must be missing something. So here's your homework. Write to me. Tweet me. Email me. Write an article for the website, newageinsiders.com. Tell me why I should care about Lucha Underground. Right now, I just don't care. What I do care about, friends, is a quality neighborhood podcast. And right now, I think we've achieved just that. Once again, my name is DC Matthews, at DC Matthews NAI, and I am the Chief of Staff of the New Age Insiders. Find us on Twitter, visit the website newageinsiders.com, and until next Sunday, I will see you around the neighborhood.